Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. I wouldn't want it to be too perfect every night. It is live after all. Working at Lincoln Center, it sounds very huge and elevated. And that's what it feels like, like once you're working there. Because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything. Welcome to Broadway Bullet Volume 315. This is a very special episode. We're devoting this all to the Planet Connections Festivity, which runs from June 9th to June 28th. And you can find out more information on any of these shows and their schedule at planetconnectionsfestivity.com. We're talking with seven of the shows involved in the festival. We've even got two musicals, and you're going to hear numbers from that. Um, we've got Our Country. We've got Resignations, Hound, Cleopatra, Those Whistling Lads, Weight of the World, and Imaginary, uh, Imaginary Invalid by Prescription Only. Uh, on today. So a lot of great discussions, a lot of great informational topics that these branch off into. So hopefully you can find out a little bit more and uh, check out some of the shows. Also, there is going to be a special contest that they're offering to Broadway Bullet listeners. You can win a free pass for you and a friend to all and any of the shows. Uh, you just need to go to their Facebook page and send them an email. The details for how you do that are at broadwaybullet.com. Uh, so you can find that again. It's, uh, you need to enter soon. Obviously, the festival's underway, so uh, they haven't given me the specific details of when entries by, but um, very possibly by the end of this weekend. Uh, so by you know June 14th or so, you probably want to have registered, if not earlier. But let's get underway with our first interview on the boards a country superstar rises from the ashes and forms an all-gay country band that is the concept behind the new musical our country which is playing at the planet Fest planet connections festivity and we have the composer lyricist tony asaro and the lead actor justin utley here with us today how you guys doing Doing great. Really good. You want to introduce yourselves quick so people can connect your voice with your name? Okay, I'm Tony Asaro, the composer, lyricist, and creator of our country. And I am Justin Utley, the actor and puppet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the first things first, what is our country? I'm sure you'll say it more eloquently than I did. Actually, no, I won't. <laughs> uh, no, um, our country, it, it, it's the story of a... Uh, fallen from grace country western pop star uh, whose name is Tommy Daughtry. Um, Tommy Daughtry rose to fame right when the country music pop crossover happened. Think Dixie Chicks. Um, and uh, Think Kenny Chesney. Think Kenny Chesney, right. And after, yeah. But don't think too hard. <laughs> <laughs> and after uh, two successful albums, you know, he was posters on every teenage girl's wall in America. Um, he is arrested by an undercover police officer who was posing as a male prostitute. Uh, Tommy, unbeknownst to the American public, had been 
soliciting sex for years, uh, hiding his homosexuality. He's outed in front of the whole country and, you know, publicly humiliated. Uh, he becomes an alcoholic recluse. Anyway, uh, subsequent to all of this, he sort of hits rock bottom and realizes that he needs to turn his life around and, uh, you know, rises from the ashes, like you said, and decides to form an all-gay country band and do country music the right way, the honest way. <laughs> so that's what you see in the show. You see the, the band, which is called Our Country, the band's first gig. So what was the inspiration behind the show? What was, it, what was the thought process that got you? Well, I first had the idea for this show uh, eight years ago, actually. Um, basically, it was... Um, I was always fascinated with the George Michael scandal, the first George Michael scandal. <laughs> there have been a few. You mean the video for Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go? Well, yes, actually. That, that was the start of the No, I was speaking specifically to the public restroom sex scandal. And um, not too long after that was the, the Big Dixie Chicks scandal where Natalie Maines said one negative comment about uh, President Bush mm -hmm. in London. And – Immediately, the country western audience, you know, basically hung them out to dry, and their song went from number one to nothing on the charts, and they were, um, <clears throat> and they were having big CD like bulldozing parties oh, yeah. in mm -hmm. cities all around the country, and you know, I thought, what if that scandal, the George Michael scandal, happened in that community, the country western listening community, and um, suddenly a, a show was born, you know. Um, <clears throat> I think, um, you know, Dan Collins, the book writer, and I have been working on this show for a little over two years now. Um, it, it's really timely right now in, in that uh, we're dealing with an institution in America which is, which is purely American and is has been heretofore um, – uh, Homosexuals have been excluded from country music. Um, At least the outlaws. Yeah. Well, and that, but that's the point. I mean, <laughs> you know, w right now there are still these sort of bastions of heterosexuality where where gay people are just not allowed in. You know, the the military, marriage. Um, uh, professional sports. But even in those three categories, there have at least been attempts. There have been pro athletes that have come out subsequent to playing. There, You know, there's all these – gay marriage is legal in some states. There have been attempts. In country music, you don't see anything. Oh, no. You don't see anything at all. And um, and now you do because we have this little <laughs> show where we're challenging stuff. So, Justin, uh, what got you involved in the show here? Um, I had done some sound and uh, music work on a couple of shows previous, and um, I am a singer-songwriter by trade, but I'd done some music for some other shows, and I received a contact from Tony, uh, apparently he heard some of my music online, and uh, tracked me down, and at first I thought he wanted me to help with the music, and I'm like, well, my stuff is kind of acoustic rocky. I guess I could maybe cross over, but I've never written country before. And he's like, no, 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 no. We want you to, like, be in the show. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I haven't done this in a while. I did, I did some musical theater back in Utah, where I'm from, and I haven't done a show since I moved. I've just been doing some music stuff, but uh, so this is getting me back in the game. Okay, so I have to ask what's now turning into an obvious question without an obvious answer yet. From Utah, you're, you're doing your own music and stuff. Are you gay? 
Ah, uh, yes. You, you are. So you are. So. I mean, it's not just country music. The truth is, I mean, the music industry in general, despite the fact that there are definitely many, many gay people involved, it's it's not a place where you want to come out, or the industry doesn't want you to come out. Yeah, I was, when I when I was first considering going on a couple of these contracts I had with some managers, there were definite hints that I should elude every question to sexuality and make it a non-issue, and I still believe it's a non-issue and I feel like I'm an artist who's gay not a gay artist because it's my music is at least for me it, it, it kind of encompasses an all audience type of thing it's not kind of pigeonholed to one specific group the emotions in the music are things that everyone can relate to and so I, I, I was kind of trying to balance like okay do I play to this crowd do I play to that crowd do I appease what the what this you know suggestion of this manager is, or do I go with my own gut? And eventually, you know, you kind of go with your own gut because you have to be honest with yourself at some point, because otherwise, it's just you're just screwing with your insides as time goes on, and you're not doing yourself or anyone else a favor. So, well, before we kind of continue the discussion, we should maybe listen to one of the songs from your <laughs> demo for this. Uh, do you want to set up this first song we're going to play? Uh, sure. So uh, this first song is called Hookers. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, first, the first thing I want to say, it, it features some uh, really amazing banjo playing by Eric Weisberg on the demo who uh, used to play with Eric Clapton. I don't know how I got that, but somehow it worked out. Uh, in any case, Tommy, uh, had, in telling his story to the audience, um, has – he has at this point sort of figured out a way to live this double life of having the very heterosexual iconic image of his pop stardom and at night take care of what he needs to take care of. All right, let's <laughs> take a listen. And this isn't Justin on the demo. I this remember. is not Justin on the demo, no. no. Right, so no. you'll have to come to see him on the show. Yeah, yes. Definitely we'll have to come see him. All right. I got myself hookers. Hookers. Because that's a way to never get caught. Reliable hookers. hookers Nothing's quite as quiet as the silence that's bought Now don't go judging me, judge Judy Cause you ain't never tried one And don't judge men who sell their booty Till you walk a mile inside one You might as well if you buy one I recommend hookers, hookers. They're plentiful, they know how to please Experienced hookers Just a box of condoms keeps you free from disease Hookers The Costains on America's quilt They're also called houseboards Switch a few semantics to alleviate guilt There's such a bountiful selection What fetish wets your wallet Just get an internet Connection. If you don't know what to call it, that's the reason most install it. To find themselves hookers. hookers. They're always up for having a ball. Congenial, congenital hookers. If you want a party, here's some numbers to call. Touring around America, I've sampled them all. Right, fun stuff. So, from both of your perspectives, is there a difference between being out in the industry and not being closeted? That's a good question. <laughs> I think so. I think so, too. I think so, too. I think that being out um, is as much a political statement as it is, as it is a personal statement. Right. Um, and 
you know, right now, I, I'm seeing this this uh, whole civil rights movement um, happening in this country, and I'm wondering where are our celebrities? You know, where are our celebrities? We had Wanda Sykes come out. I mean, I love Wanda Sykes, but I, I think we can we can aim a little higher than it's Wanda Sykes. Like you know, Iowa. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, <clears throat> well, you know, against Wanda. Adam Lambert, I think, is an interesting, you know, thing. I mean, I, I don't think in most circles there's any question of what his sexuality is. But, you know, through him and the media and how they're playing it, they're like, you know, it's not like they're trying to downplay it, but they're trying. But he's he strikes me as kind of a perfect example. He's not out, but he's not closeted. Right. Um, similarly, I would say, you know, like... Um, on, on probably the most visible level of that distinction. Right. right. <laughs> you know, or, or certain certain news media hosts that maybe we won't... Whose names we won't say From because, Fox to CNN, we right. just have to say that, too. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's kind of across the board. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and, and I, I think... Coming out publicly, you know, is is a major statement, um, which definitely affects your audience and it definitely affects your your sales probably. But um, those of us who do it say there are bigger things at stake. I think. Oh yeah, I think the the, the difference with with my experience at least has been I've become much more of an activist and much more aware of people around me and you know things that are affecting other people's lives and also my own and that everyone should be treated with fairness across the board and like I said earlier you're not being honest with yourself you're not doing yourself a favor or anyone else and like um, like Melissa Etheridge is another example and I put that mm-hmm. out there because she's one of my favorites but um, she's definitely out yeah. <laughs> boy howdy and I think I went to her Christmas concert uh, and I think me and one of my friends were one of the only guys in the audience <laughs> I think the camera panned on us a few times just to try to make it look like there was more of a diverse crowd and she's definitely out but again her music relates to a broader audience and there are definitely people in the straight community that enjoy her her music as well I think she's taken a it's like she doesn't play gay music. She's an artist who is gay. But, you and know, in, in terms of this weird, you know, psycho, you know, analysis goes on in the American public anytime there's something with, you know, something queer in it. I think for Melissa Etheridge, actually, her coming out actually helped her. I'll, I'll say oh, the weird yeah. psychology thing. They were like, she plays rock music. They're like, oh. Oh, so it's okay for a chick to play. She's more. Yeah. It, yeah, it yeah. actually authenticated her more. She's not a chick. She's not a chick trying to do rock music. She's actually more of a dude than, you know, I mean, in this Perhaps. crazy American psychology. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I would say that that the real power from it came from the fact that, that, you know, she made a bold declaration and said, I'm not taking this business on anybody else's terms anymore. And I think that's what got her the respect subsequent to coming out. I mean, certainly I think she's a bigger name now than she was then. Right. But I, I think it has more – I mean, she made a big splash and that's publicity, sure. But I, I think the fact that she just – she said, you know what? It's on it, – it's my game now. It's my game now. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be who I am and I'm going to make the music I want to make, um, whatever that is to say. Right. You know, right. I mean, I think, you know, she's also been very out about having had breast cancer and, ha- you know, and, and I think people respect – how true she is to herself, um, right? And I don't know, maybe because she she wears jeans and not skirts. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, but it is frustrating when you hear from anything 
from musicians to politicians who well, were... Well, uh, you can put can do that without, But it's like the same thing. Like, I imagine as an out gay singer, if you were doing dance electronica, you would find far less resistance. Oh, absolutely. I tried that and it did not work <laughs> at all. But that's the psychology. It's like they want to, they want to put them in oh, their category. Oh, totally. So. Well, and right, and George Michael hardly experienced any flack from his coming. You know, everyone was like, yeah, right. His we, music was already we, getting worse. And, I, I'm a big fan of his, but he's been... <laughs> no, I, I, agree, I agree with that. But I, I feel like, you know, when he came out of the closet... Pretty much everyone who listens to George Michael was okay with him being gay. You know, I don't think there were that many people, you know, hugging Bibles saying, oh, my God, George Michael is gay. You know what I mean? Tearing up their concert tickets. Right, exactly. Um, Interesting. I was thinking about how country music is probably so barred from, from gay artists. What about rap artists? Well, th- but there are yeah. gay rap artists. They're not popular, but there are some. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, what was that? There the is a, definitely a big subgenre, yeah. subculture okay. of, of okay. gay rap. Yeah. But you don't hear about gay country anywhere. No. Ever. Ever. Till <laughs> now. Yep. <laughs> Bring it on. Well, we got another song from the demo. Do you want to tell us what this one's about? Sure. This is um, this is the title track, actually. Um, he He sings it sort of... I don't know. It's it's our it's kind of an epilogue to to the whole show. Um, he's he's made his journey. We've we've experienced his arc, and then he kind of comes at you hard in almost a Brechtian kind of way. Yeah, this is the title track of the show. Yeah, and it doesn't need too much setup actually. All right, let's take a listen. You got your house. You got your Lexus. The sunny suburb of Savannah, Georgia, Dallas, Texas. Your life is clean, your life is normal. Your straight A son is quarterback and king of winter formal. When he comes to you on Saturday crying, and he puts it into all your denying, you're gonna have to find another dream. He's throwing passes for the other team And that's the way it goes Cause closets are for clothes The days are hiding underground and through And as we're gaining power We're building up a tower Conservatives cower Cause this is our country too We're just like you Red, white, blue We're in your bank We're at your market and when your valet parked that Lexus, guess who's gonna park it? We're in your church, praying in your sanctuary. We're out in Congress, out in schools, and out in our military. And even on your radio stations, as your latest country western sensations. And some of us are choosing not to hide. Changing country music from inside And that's the way it goes Cause closets are for clothes The days are hiding underground and blue And as we're gaining power We're building up a tower Conservatives cower Cause this is our country too Red, white, and blue Tried and true Yeah, we're just like you Except better dressed <laughs> And better looking And better in bed of course, we're far more sensitive, delicate, really, like a flower. 
tell the world I'm here, reviving my career. This country needs to get a fucking clue. Yeah, I'm salty and I'm sour. Batter me with flour for my queers to devour. Cause this is our country too. Red, white, and blue, like barbecue. Should be a little pink, it's more fun to chew. So over the course of the show, do, do you find out if America does embrace him in his new... <laughs> I think you. I think they do. I, well, I mean, I think it's left to the audience. In you know, New York. I, in, in New York, right? <laughs> um, I mean, you know, we, you don't get any like information about you know now he's risen back to the yeah. top of the charts or anything. It, it's more actually uh, an appeal to the people in the room to say, you know, what are you willing to accept? And um, and. I mean, I think he does. I think, you know, he it, it, it becomes more about his own need to rise from his own ashes as right. opposed to in the eyes of anybody else. Um, and he probably books some pretty good crowds in some not big arenas, but some pretty cool clubs around the country. I don't think he ever gets back to the top of where he was. Oh, yeah, yeah. But no. I think there, he has a much stronger and much more loyal following that understands his music. Right. Well, and he learns that it's not about the big arenas right. anymore. Right. You know? It, he's he's done that, and yeah. that got him hiring right. hookers, you know? Right. <laughs> so. so for the Planet Connections festivity, when do you open and close? We open on the 21st, less than two weeks away. Ah! I know. Uh, and our closing performance is uh, on the 27th on Pride Saturday. And they can find all the specific performance times by going to uh, planetconnectionsfestivity.com or yep. are the dates on your own website as well? They are. What's the, what's that website? Uh, well, the show has a website, www.ourcountry2, T-O-O, just like the song you heard, uh, .com, <clears throat> ourcountry2.com. And then uh, and also uh, on my website, www.unrelentingmonkey.com. All right. Well, I wish you the best of luck in uh, your run at Planet Connections Festivity. Oh, and really quick, who's your um, beneficiary, your uh, charity? We're benefiting the uh, the center, the Gay and Lesbian Center, so um, here in New York. All right. Well, uh, Tony Osaro and Justin Utley, thanks so much for coming down to talk about our country, and best of luck. Thank you so much. Thank you. On the boards. We're talking to another one of the many great offerings at the Planet Connections Festivity, and this play is Resignations, and it's written by playwright John Kearns, who is joining us, as well as starring Amy Chang and Joy Lancetta, who are also both here in the studio. How are the two of you? How are three of you doing? Great. <laughs> Very well. Very good. I said two of you. There, there are th- all three of you are sitting on my couch and only accommodates two people. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're small. <laughs> Do you want to introduce yourselves really quickly so people can connect the voice with uh, name. Hi, I'm John Kearns. I'm the, the, the playwright of the piece. Hi, I'm Amy Chang. I play the character of Joy. Hi, I'm Joy Lancetta, and I'm playing the character of Grace. Okay, that's confusing. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes during rehearsal we have to... S- we have to stick to character names, or we have to stick to like real names. So, and we have an actor named John, another who's also on the show. Uh, so, uh-huh. there's two Johns, and, and a character Joy, and a, an actress named Joy. So, it's plenty of confusion. Three little bit of three Stooges going on. Yeah. <laughs> so, first off, tell us a little bit. What is the play Resignations about? Well, it's about the relationship between uh, the two characters, Joy and Grace, who are uh, Chinese American women who grew up in Wait, in Queens. They're Chinese. 
Yeah. <laughs> in the show, yes. Oh, I couldn't. You had no accent. <laughs> oh, until you see the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're American, ABC. They're American-born Chinese. So they were born in New York, but they're of Chinese uh, background. And they had been art students, and uh, now they're working in the corporate world. Uh, one of them is uh, content with their corporate life. The other one is uh, more frustrated and wants to wants to leave. And so there's kind of the, the tension between the two of them about what, whether they'll stay with the job or quit or go back to the art world. That's that's kind of something I imagine a lot of artists can relate to. Yeah, yeah. Very <laughs> yeah. Much so yeah, it's funny. I've it's some of the conversations I have in the show are like legitimate conversations I've had with my friends before. So it's it's a it's a good show that um, I think a lot of artists will be able to relate to, or even anyone in the workforce and it, working in a in a cubicle could be able to relate to it because we have a lot of uh, issues and and uh, things that go around in there that we. If they discuss. still have a job and they're still in the workforce. Yes. Right. <laughs> That's the thing. Shouldn't your characters be like grateful they have a job in this economy? Oh, that comes up. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there are threats threats of layoffs later on later later in the play. So there's something people can relate to it also. So, so what was your inspiration for writing this show, John? Uh, I'm trying to remember how I I uh, I think. Well, I guess partly my own life because I'm I'm an artist who also works uh, in the corporate world. So there's the tension in my own experience. Um, I think I just I wanted to to do something that uh, I wanted to write a play about women because the other the other um, plays I've written had been mostly about Irish characters and very masculine sort of plays about gangsters and things like that. So I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to do something change? different. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just I think I just you started should write I, the effeminate gangster play. That would, that would have been a change up. <laughs> yeah, just, violence. yeah, there are some way. <laughs> he sneaks it in there. Yeah, I have a little silly. I, I actually do have one comp. The first one I wrote was about com- a comedy about gangsters, so uh, it was very silly, but not really effeminate. But <laughs> anyway, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think I just wanted I wanted to write something about wor- uh, the world of work too, because it's something that we spend so much of our time doing and uh, you know, it, rarely do you see it addressed uh, in films and theater uh, by people who really know what, what, what they're talking about who spend their days doing that so mm-hmm. um, I think those, those were the ideas and then I took the tri- a trip to China and I decided I really wanted to try to work in some um, Chinese culture into it as well yeah I was, I was going to ask is there, a, is there a particular reason why you, you, you wanted to Go with you know Asian characters and and how does that play? Does that play into the theme as well? How, yeah, definitely. How, how society? I think Asians have a very. Am I wrong here? They have a very skewed perception. I mean, I don't think there's really a lot of necessarily prejudice against, but I think there's a lot of expectations as to who you are. Right. With uh, the. Yeah, I mean, I can speak for myself as far as my character goes. She really, um, as you know, between the two characters, I think Grace really does take the tradition a little more seriously than maybe Joy does, and and that's where the struggle comes in, where she's wanting to be financially stable. She wants her parents to be proud of the money that she's earning. She, you know, wants she's thinking about the future. How is she going to provide for her family as well? And you know, and it's sort of taken precedent precedent over the years, um, you know, above art. So. Yeah, there is. I mean, there's there's a clear struggle um, in that in the show, and you'll be able to see the difference between the two and what their culture means to them. I think Joy, the character of Joy, has really embraced the American side of being Asian American in terms of you know holding true to her dreams and pursuing personal uh, growth 
And, um, you know, she does pay lip service when Grace reminds her about what are you going to do about your parents when they get older, taking care of them. But um, I think she really holds to um, bettering herself and trying to do what she wants to do with her life. Now, outside of this play, I'm always intrigued. I think, personally, as actors, how do you feel the land? Is the landscape changing at all to the roles you're opening up for, or, or is it still like you know, Miss Saigon, Flower Drum Song, and you know, I, I do I hear like you know when I when I I've met I've had actually did a cast album with a lot of Asian you know actresses, and and they all seem to be very excited when they get to do something different than the five shows that. Yeah, well, you know, there's actually a really large community of Asian actors out there in Asian theaters. Um, you know, Pan-Asian Theater Repertoire, um, you know, the National Asian American Theater Company, those are all big communities. Mayi um, Theater, you know, it, it, we sort of um, have kind of found each other in a way and, and supported each other. And, um, for example, Pan-Asian um, Theater Company has did, like, Bernarda Alba the other year. And, you know, and they're just sort of pushing boundaries as far as, uh, you know, blind casting and, you know, and just doing it for the sake of art and not being specifically, you know, correct to the race and color or image or whatever. So I think I think we're definitely moving forward. Um, you know, the Asian community has definitely found its place and is expanding. I feel like I've been very fortunate in having worked with directors in the past who have seen beyond my Asianness, if you will, um, and cast me in roles that were not specifically written for Asian actors. And um, I'm also a part of a group called Asian American Film Lab, and um, they're a group of actors and writers and producers who um, want to create Asian American stories, but um, basically they're just like good stories, not specifically dealing with being Asian, but just happen to have Asian characters. And I think. Um, that's something that we're kind of working towards is having more Asian American representation, Asian American um, experiences being told in film and theater um, so that you can bring some of your Asian culture with you but then also merge that with your American lifestyle that we're living now. Yeah, because, I mean, I don't know, you know, my perception, but, you know, it seems to be skewed, but with colorblind casting, you know, nowadays, it seems to mean, like, in, mo in most cases black casting blacks in roles that they don't fit in is kind of where our society's moved to colorblind right. casting. It, it doesn't seem like I necessarily see a lot of Asians or Indians or certain other, you know, you know, cast in roles that, you know, could be, you know, something else or they don't have to be Asian. And I don't mean this as an insult, but like the two of you, you know, just chatting with you, it seems like you would fit in very well on a lot of, you know, 90210 or CW shows or Thank Gossip you. Girls. <laughs> I mean, you, you are very all-American, but I think, you know, there's a tendency to, when they see an Asian character or something going, oh, they've got to be Asian for some reason. There's got to be something yeah, am, yeah. I, am, I, am I completely skewed? No, I mean, no, I don't live I in your world. I think on a larger scale, that is very apparent. But I, again, I think we are moving forward. Um, there are small. There's a progression, and it's small, and it, it may take a while. But I think that we're slowly moving towards um, breaking that. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, you can see it in all different ways. But coming, being an Asian actor and seeing what opportunities are actually out for us, I think there are a lot more than people would think there are. So yeah. I think if you're talking about like Hollywood in right. prime time, mm -hmm. definitely. Yeah. That's still unfortunately the case, but I think they're getting better about it. They're mm -hmm. seeing, you know, 
they're seeing the writing on the wall, if you will. I think a lot of independent films, um, mm. again, just speaking from personal experience, I've been fortunate that I've been working in roles which um, weren't necessarily written for Asian actors. I think just challenging people. And once you see more of that out in the mainstream, it, it's going to okay. become more prevalent, I think. Yeah. And I think, I mean, one of the reasons why I wanted to have the characters be Asian in the in the play was just if you go to a lot of the offices in New York these days, I mean, the, the young people that are, are starting out in the workforce these days, a lot of them are Asian or Indian, yeah. are the newer generation, or the newer waves of immigrants that have come to New York. They're, now their children are working yeah. in the corporate world. So um, It's not just, it's just the, medical yeah, it's just, school or <laughs> any of that. <laughs> So um, now this is – what's your schedule here at Planet Connections? Uh, we, we open up on uh, June 11th and we run until uh, the 25th. There's six different dates. And uh, the website for – do you have a personal website for the show or is it – Yeah, my website is uh, kernscafe.com, K-E-A-R-N-S-C-A-F-E.com. And then there's the Planet Connections Festivity.com. There people can get all the specific dates yeah. and schedule information. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in. I wish you the best of luck with uh, running your production. And again, thanks, John Kearns, Amy Chang, and Joy Lanceta. Uh, best of luck and break down. Yeah, <laughs> it goes well, though. Power to the people. Thank you. On the boards. A twisted take on Hound of the Baskerville in the Sherlock Holmes canon is kind of the subject matter of Hound, one of the selections from the Planet Connections festivity. And we have playwright John Patrick Bravey? Bray. Bray, Bray. I I can't read my own writing. I blame (laughs) it on you, but I wrote it in here. (laughs) And uh, Blaine Peltier? Yeah. Peltier? Peltier, that'll work. Or uh, my Montana, Peltier. Hey, that, yeah, that's, the, that's what the solicitors say. Peltier. You got a nice furry pelt on you. <laughs> I'll take it over bravey any day. That's cool. Yeah, my, my Y turned into... Okay. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so, that works. Hound. What is Hound. Well, it's uh, besides a, a, a really, you know, the play where Dakota Fanning gets all sexy. <laughs> <laughs> it actually, is that play it comes? In. No, um, Hound is uh, well, it's it, it's a Watson story, right? I mean, Sherlock Holmes is there, but really, in this particular take, you have um, Doctor Watson. He's living with Sherlock Holmes again. Um, Holmes has already come back from the dead, so to speak, right? He had this fight with Moriarty where he faked his death. So he's come back, and the two of them are living together, and Watson's all, you know, he's grieving widower, alcoholic. And uh, this case comes up that could involve a hound of hell. So for Watson, this piques his interest. It's like, okay, well, if there's a hound of hell, then there's something on the other side, and maybe maybe this hound could be the key that will lead me to my dead wife, who I, as a doctor, could not save. So it's a guy surrounded in death and... Um, you know, he meets various characters along the way who, in detective stories, they'd be kind of protected by who they are. But in this particular take, since we're doing it a little twisted, they're more, like, damned by what they are. And so there's some monologues out to the audience that are, like, pleas for their own existence. And monologues? Uh, yeah, there are monologues. Monologues. Monologues, monologues. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh, I know. It's dangerous. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, the thing about these monologues, though, is that they're... Um, you know, I want people to be uncomfortable. I want them to kind of laugh and then say, oh, my God, I can't believe I just laughed at that. So, well, I think that probably makes it twisted, too, but we, we shall see. You know. 
And so, Blaine, I understand that you've been involved with the show for a little while. Uh, yeah, this was originally produced um, where I'm from, Lafayette, Louisiana, uh, hence the, the crazy last name. Um, Peltier. 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 When was that? 2006? Uh, 2007. Seven. So, yeah, uh, a good while ago. And uh, what happened was it was around my birthday, and uh, they had been uh, working on the show for a while. And about a week before they opened, uh, they called me and said, we need your help. We had to fire an actor, and we were wondering if you could take this role. And uh, they said it was a you know, sizable role. So I was like, well, let me give it a shot just to see if I can do it. And uh, uh, I eventually, I guess, sort of pulled it off and uh, fell in love with the script. That was a, that was the important thing. Um, and uh, it had always been kind of in my mind. So when this opportunity came up, I was like, well, let me. Who knew this see. little play at a community theater in exactly. Lafayette would lead you to the Big Apple? Yeah, to the Big Apple. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, it's it's it's, it's a star really is really born cool. and your yeah. replacement. It's like, yeah, this is like we'll the see. true Hollywood story. Uh, <laughs> for now, let's see. Um, yeah, uh, whenever I'm dead on the gutter, we can we can finish that story. But, um, <laughs> it's my hope to make other people famous and to let them be dead in the gutter, and I'll just kind of disappear into obscurity. But uh. well, hey, uh, I appreciate the uh, the opportunity to die in the gutter. <laughs> but um, but no, it. Uh, so, We've got plenty of people in New York who are willing to help. That happen. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, I meet like three a day. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm, I'll put you on the waiting list. But right now, this guy, I think he he just has a better. Uh, crazier look. I'm going to go with him. Yeah, that was your accountant, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which explains a lot of other situations that I'm in. But, um, yeah. So, the opportunity came up, and uh, he gave me the director's uh, contact information. That's Rachel um, Klein. Rachel Klein. Mm-hmm. Extraordinaire. And uh, and he said, it's out of my hands, but, you know, uh, if she if she digs you, then then great. So I sent her some stuff and didn't hear anything for like two months. And then I get an email saying, are you going to be in New York in the next two weeks? And I said, yes. Yes, I will. <laughs> so I came up and uh, and uh, auditioned and didn't think anything of it and ended up getting cast. And I figured I'd kick myself if I didn't take this opportunity. And uh, and so here we are. And meanwhile, he has a pregnant wife and a three-year-old daughter back in yeah, that's right. back in Lafayette, hanging out waiting made for his me, triumphal return. Make me the bad guy. <laughs> You've abandoned so, them to run off to the seedy entertainment right. industry in New York. If they own, yeah, and yeah, and that's. Uh, and so it is. So, yeah, this is like a, one of those true uh, stories. You're going to be converted by the blue states. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're pretty blue in the shoe part of the boot. You're going to um... get married to a gay. <laughs> <laughs> but not New York yet. No, 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 no. No, I haven't met the right one yet. I'm, I'm, I'm taken. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So what have been some of the challenges for the two of you? You're both transplants at the moment here. So, and... Um, and I know, John, you're involved, you know, producing the show as well. So what have been the challenges for you in, like, your temporary relocation for this? Well, I mean, mostly, um, you know, right now we're helping, like, my in-laws move. So there's a lot of personal stuff. Trying to raise money right now, which is a problem for everybody who, uh, you know, and I hate the phrase, but in these economic times, you know. He's got just, finger quotes. Yeah, right, those quotes. scary air quotes there. <laughs> but, you know, and trying to get people to part with their money has been kind of a challenge. Um, and uh, also just, 
Yeah, I mean, the usual things with theater, right? Time and money. Um, those have been the big ones for me. Um, but personally, I, I, as much as I do like Southern Louisiana, I am, I am glad to be back in my old stomping grounds and, uh, you know, seeing different people and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the challenge for me is just uh, first of all, I'm I'm shacking up with an old friend of mine uh, who is consequently shacking your up. Your with wife a friend might of be his. listening to this. So hey, sure uh, uh, no, <laughs> she, she, knows, she knows the story. And I've I've always been shacking up. I don't know what it oh, means down in Louisiana. Pretty much, <laughs> pretty much the same thing. <laughs> but um, shacking up minus the uh, I don't know minus what part the indicates the this. Set. Yeah. <laughs> The sh or the ack or the ing, I don't know. Take that part out, and that's what we've been doing. Um, which which is also a problem because, you know, when you're at home, you're used to, you know, regular shacking. But, uh, but um, it's, you know, so we're staying in Bay Ridge, and, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, I have a hard time, you know, being that guy of like, oh, thank you. You know, I don't know how appreciative to be because they're just kind of letting me hang out there for a month. Yeah, not, not shacking appreciative, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and then the commute and just you know the adjustment. I mean, this play, this really is a, a jungle of sorts, and you can find whatever you want at any given time, whether it's a banana or a banana, and um, so it's it's just adjusting to that. It's a whole nother it's a whole nother world, but it's a fun world. And I, I've been here and I've lived around here before. And uh, it's really cool the way the weather is right now because we go from re- the severe heat to like, you know, these European conditions right now. And so I'm kind of getting to revisit like all the seasons that I, you know, that I once knew here. And um, so really, I mean, people are saying, you're on vacation. I'm not on vacation, but at the same time, I've got nothing else to do but this show. So uh, other than, uh, you know, watching my uh, my money and uh, that, you know, the, the show is, I've been able to fortunately concentrate on the show and hopefully develop as good of a character as I can. I know that sounds all actory, but this is a theater chat show. But um, so... Uh, to back up on one thing, have you taken them out to a nice dinner yet after shacking? Um, I'm gonna wait till the final shack, and then I think I'll. <laughs> you know, I'll right. really pull New Yorkers out all love the stuff. to eat. That seems to be the general. No matter the long stay, if you take them out for one really nice meal, yeah, that, then you're cool. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely, <laughs> definitely that remember that. Seems to be that. the general etiquette consensus. <laughs> yeah, here. and they do love to eat, and it's always. And I mean, they <laughs> they, they 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 jump at any opportunity, and. Uh, and spend all kind. I don't know where he gets this money from, but uh, I'm, I'm having a very difficult time keeping up. But uh, but I, I'll try my best. You know, I don't want to max out all the cards again. You know, because that accountant really screwed me over. Mm-hmm. You know, the one with the fur jacket and the holes in his shoes. Um, any other challenges, John? You're up here with your wife and and baby yeah, boy. Yeah, six month old. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, time and money. Yeah, time and kind of a boring answer, but where did you find a shack up with a wife and a baby boy? Uh, well, uh, we're at my in-laws right now in Westchester. Um, they're moving to Long Island um, in July. Um, my parents live just outside of New Paltz, New York, so it's kind of a you know Westchester, New Paltz, and then soon Long Island. So it'll be the the gypsy shackers of of three different uh, three different areas for the summer. And if everybody starts, you know, saying shacking. We we know that we have a bigger in range of influence than we think. <laughs> I think we can make this word happen. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. Yeah. So again, any any kind of last uh, parting shots you want to get out on Hound? 
Uh, basically, I, I just hope that folks will come and see it. Um, you know, it's it's gotten the script itself has gotten pretty good word of mouth. I wrote it under the uh, tutelage of um, uh, Neil Bell, who's um, an Edgar Nobby winner. Um, this guy George Tolls, who writes movies for Guy Madden, has said some really cool things and. Uh, you know, um, just uh, come out and see it. We we open on June seventeenth at four forty studios. We close on June twenty fifth, and we are keeping up with our eco status for the uh, Planet Connections festivity by having a no set and b my wife and I cloth diapers. So that's about as green as you can get. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and you're all shacking up. To go and we're all that's right. We're up. all shacking up. <laughs> <laughs> very, very eco friendly. But no, it's a, a the show's going to turn out to be pretty damn great, and it's going to be something something different. That uh, and that, I know that's that's a cliche right now, but I really think if you come and see this, you're going to see things that you weren't exactly expecting and you'd be pleasantly surprised with it and it'll be so much better than that robert downey jr sherlock holmes i promise you yeah they had to hold that one back it was so bad no come to ours we're on time (laughs) (laughs) all right well john patrick bray and blaine pelcher I'm going to rub myself again. Blaine Peltier. Something tells me if I ever get an agent, that's going to be the first thing to go. (laughs) (laughs) I have to get rid of that name. You know, I even asked you to pronounce for me beforehand, and I still can't seem to come out with it. It's rough. If you called me on the phone... I would be like, uh, no, sorry. I usually give him like three chances. I'm like, I tell you what, if you can pronounce his name pro- properly, and I'll give you three tries. And if you can do it, I'll listen to your sales pitch. And they're like, Peloton, no, no, Peloton, no, one more, sorry. And then, and then that's it with them. But it's fun. All right. Well, best of luck with your run with Hound. Thank and you very much. Thanks so much for coming by. All right. Thank thanks, you. man. On the boards. Cleopatra, A Life Unparalleled, is a rock-flavored musical that is one of the selections at the Planet Connections Festivity. And we have got producer Rich Labadia, as well as Melissa Labadia, I believe there might be a relation there, (laughs) who is playing uh, Cleopatra. And we've also got a couple of the cast members here to sing some songs from the show. Uh, So how are the two you doing? We're doing great. We're doing great. Yeah, thanks for having us, Mike. All right, well, the first question always simple is, uh, what is Cleopatra, A Life Unparalleled? Well, uh, as you mentioned, it's a rock musical, and um, it's it's quite a soap opera, really. Uh, the author, Cheryl Kemeny, was striving to adhere to actual history uh, with the latest research, but obviously she couldn't fit all of the characters into the show. Uh, so she, she tried to uh, condense it into an order, uh, that would fit the history well and uh, fit it all into a two-hour musical. So that was quite a challenge. But uh, Cleopatra was evolved a few years ago when Melissa got involved in it uh, as Cleopatra. And, um, you know, it had some runnings locally in Connecticut at Crystal Theater. And then we got the opportunity to do it at the Midtown International Theater Festival last year. And... Um, it is now revised and revamped. Last year it was really a, a rock opera type approach, but this year we've turned it into a rock musical. And you can hear from some of the music that uh, it's pretty catchy, it's exciting, and um, you know it's quite a story. Cleopatra, household name. Um, the cast is young, good-looking, 
and all has, you know, vibrant voices. So uh, we're really excited about it. Well, maybe, uh, I know we're doing three songs, so maybe we should kick right away and get into hearing, you know, one of the performances. Do you want to set up this first song we're going to hear? Sure, sure. I think, um, you know, the first one is, uh, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And that, uh, that features Melissa as Cleopatra and Josh Woody as uh, Julius Caesar. And, um, you know, Josh just joined the production this year and uh, was a great addition to the cast. We were looking for a new Caesar who was uh, vibrant, good-looking, young, and uh, had a great voice uh, for pop rock. And, um, you know, if you want to set up the, the number to... The song, Who's It Gonna Be?, is actually the first time that Caesar and Cleopatra meet. Cleopatra is coming to Caesar, giving him an ultimatum that he has to choose between her or her brother, Ptolemy 13. And so this is her plea to him that she's the best choice. And it's one of my favorite songs in the show. It's really catchy, it's pop rock, and it's a really great song. And this is actually uh, right after there's the famous rug entrance, right? Yes. Into, <laughs> she, into the palace. She, she enters in. the palace wrapped in a rug, um, hidden in the rug as a gift for Caesar. So. <laughs> right, and everybody's going to be performing live here in the studio over the, the track she got for the thing, just so that our, our listeners know. So. Yes. All right. Are you guys ready? Yeah. You say you want to hear both sides, but it's as plain as day to me. Steal home against the tides, we have a common destiny. Stand by me, together we'll make history. You'll see that you can count on me to take on any enemy. Who's it gonna be? Who's it gonna be? Who's it gonna be? Who's it gonna be, him or me? I've got the power, I've got the energy you need. Now is the hour, the writing's on the wall, or can't you read? Little girl, I was born yesterday. I know the game you want me to play. The stakes are high. for me the pleasure of your company most men would find it time well spent to be with a woman of such royal descent I've got 3,000 years of ancestry not to mention the obvious yes I see who's it gonna be who's it gonna be who's it gonna be What should be my response, peace or pleasure? I must take into account The Alexandrian supporter brother She's got to give just a small amount It can't be one way or the other Cause when the facts are said and done He outnumbers me 20 to 1 I'm not saying that it will be easy If uncertainty makes you feel queasy You can 
complicity. Oh, is it not synchronicity? State your intention, declare your desire. Defy convention, step into the fire. Set yourself apart, merge your mind and heart. Align yourself with me, fulfill your destiny. Stand by me. Together we'll make history. You'll see that you can count on me to take on any Right, fantastic. So, Planet Connections festivity is about going green too, and I was curious what Caesar or what Cleopatra, a life unparalleled, was doing for the green effort. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's interesting in that Cleopatra, from a, a green perspective, you know, an icon in history, um, that the society we we feel the young people should look at it in in both two different ways. One in that she uh, was really an icon in history, was a powerful woman uh, in Egypt when really in the, in the world women didn't have much power back then, except for Cleopatra. She knew how to do it. And the, the flip side of that is the way she was able to do it was through her sexuality and her body. And, um, you know, she knew how to play Julius Caesar. She knew how to play Mark Antony. Uh, and she learned from it. Uh, so from a society perspective, there's two different angles to look at it that way. So is there a sexy element to the show? Yes. Definitely. How does it feel with your father as a producer? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, he doesn't mind at all. And, you know, he lets me do my thing. And, you know, definitely is a lot of sexy as- aspects of the show with, <laughs> with Caesar and Mark Anthony. So, And I'm fortunate enough to have two good-looking guys as my counterparts, so it makes it much easier. (laughs) So definitely that's one thing to look forward to is the relationships. Sure. And then, you know, from an eco-friendly perspective, uh, Planet Connections is is big on that, and we support that. And um, from costuming, we've been using TDF costumes and uh, Costume Bazaar, and uh, we've gone to Goodwill to get some uh, recycled-type uh, costumes and utilize whatever we can to uh, to make it as eco-friendly as possible. And is is there a beneficiary to this uh, performance that you want to? It's um, women for women, which benefits um, women in Af- Afghan, I think. Yes, yeah. Afghan women. Afghan women. <laughs> and uh, you know, that, I, I left that up to Cheryl Kemeny, the author of the show, and you know, I support it. And I think that's it's going for a great cause. All right. Well, I think let's hear have another performance here. Do you want to set up this next song and introduce the singer? Sure. Um, we'll do uh, Charmian's song. Charmian's song is um, called In One Moment, and it will be performed by Jessica Labadia. Is that a, any other relation? She's actually my sister, my <laughs> younger sister. So, and it, it's pretty cool because she's my best friend in the show. Charmian is Cleopatra's um, handmaiden, and um, she's always there for her. So, this song is basically about Charmian observing 
Cleopatra's depression and see after Caesar dies and, you know, trying to convince her that she, you know, needs to get out of this and she needs to stick to her vision of restoring Egypt. All right, and uh, so let's uh, get ready. You ready to perform? Okay. recording and stuff right before we started the interview it's like I didn't even re- realize that it was uh, that it was all a family until I'm looking at the names going wait a minute there's something going on here <laughs> um, <laughs> now I actually understand that uh, Jessica and Melissa you actually perform together as yes a- we do as a recording, we're recording artists, and our group is called Labadia Sisters. We have a bunch of our music on iTunes and also on our MySpace, which is myspace.com slash Labadia Sisters. And um, it's, it's a pop rock group, so it's, it's really great because we can use those aspects um, from our experience with our recording group for this show because it is pop rock music, and, you know, it's, it's really great, and... Definitely check out our group, Labadia Sisters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they, they, you know, they recently opened for Ryan Cabrera, and they're opening up again for him uh, July second in Hartford, Connecticut. And so they, uh, they're used to performing together. I'm used to working with them. I've managed them throughout their career, and uh, you know, I think uh, they they possess a rare quality in that they have the theatrical capabilities of performing on stage and live. And then as well, also have the recording and writing capabilities. They're very creative. And, uh, you know, it takes both really to be successful uh, in, in either community. And I think that, um, you know, I support them in every way I can. And I let them really be creative in their own way. And uh, they are happy in what they do. And that's what I always do a sanity check with them is, are you happy? 
and what you're doing. She's got the deer frozen in her head. I look like, do I say anything? Again? I'm just kidding. You know? She can't, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I support that. And, uh, you know, we always do that check. He beats sure. me. Yeah, he beats me. So, Papa Rose, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and, I, you know, and I also manage other artists yeah. as well. Yeah. So I've, uh, you know, I've always had a love for music since I was very young, too. So... Uh, in helping them achieve their goals. I've also am living out a dream of my own in that I love music, I love entertainment, and uh, managing other artists and, uh, you know, really looking forward to uh, a long, happy life and career in the entertainment field. And producing this show, I think, is uh, really exciting for me because uh, Cleopatra is very commercial in its appeal, and uh, the music is very catchy and... Uh, the actors are great, the voices are great, and uh, the story is great. So I encourage everybody to come out to the Robert Moss Theater and see the show. All right. Well, we got another one last song here that I believe the sisters are going to perform together, correct? Yes. Um, it's called Dangerous Kind, and it's basically uh, it's Cleopatra's song, and she has these backup dancers and singers with her. She goes to see Mark Anthony. Um, this is like their second meeting, and um, he's basically propositioning her, saying, you know, he wants to be with her, and she's basically like, I've already been through this before. I've already been with Caesar. I've been with, you know, dangerous people. I've met guys like you before, and I'm not going to fall for your tricks this time. All right. You guys ready? Yeah. Okay. Dangerous kind. You gotta. Buy- 
Nothing like the sound of Sisters in Harmony. Say. Uh, when I saw the names on the list after, I was like, okay, now it makes sense why they blended so well. One mic, one room. Okay. So, so Cleopatra um, runs from the 13th of June to the 27th of June? Yes. Yes. And, uh, six performances. Six performances. And I understand you have a MySpace page as well for that? Yes, there is uh, myspace.com slash Cleopatra Musical. And... Uh, we're, we're doing some webisodes with the cast during the rehearsal process, so there's a couple of, out there, couple of them out there now. And uh, we're going to be featuring different cast members over the next few weeks, so you know, I encourage you to go out there and ch- check that out. There's uh, videos of, so- of some of the songs, and uh, we'll be putting up some MP3s of some of the songs as well. All right. Well, fabulous. I wish you the best of luck with the run and uh, break a leg. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, thanks for having us. And again, thanks, uh, Joshua Woody. Or no, wait. Sasha Woody was singing as Caesar. Uh, Melissa Labadia was... Uh, Cleopatra. Is, you know, I'm interviewing here with Cleopatra. <laughs> Jessica was singing um, as Charmaine. Charmian. Charmian. Okay. <laughs> and Rich Labadia as the producer, co-producer of the show. Co-producer Thanks. with Cheryl Kemeny, the author. Yes. And thanks, everybody, for stopping down and sharing with us. Thanks, Thank Michael. You. Thank you. On the boards. If you're a big fan of Dorothy Parker, the writer from the 20s and 30s, and I believe, believe onward and whatnot, you've got a treat coming with Those Whistling Lads, which is playing at the Planet Connections Festivity. It's all about uh, bringing five of her poems and stories to life. And we've got the writer Maureen Van Treese, who also acts and plays Dorothy Parker in the show. And we've got the producer, Michael Levesque, here at the studio to talk to us about Those Whistling Lads and all about Dorothy Parker. How you doing? Great. Very well, thank you. So I guess the first step is to probably more eloquently than I uh, state what Those Whistling Lads is about and what, what people can expect. Well, um, you're going to see how the five stories that I chose, the five poems, came from experiences in her life. So it goes back and forth between scenes from her life and the stories and the poems that she wrote. Uh, it only goes up until 1933. Sorry for those fans who are expecting her entire life on stage. That's not going to happen. Uh, because all of these things were written by 1933. A majority of her work was was already published by then. For uh, maybe some of our listeners who perchance might not be familiar with Dorothy Parker, um, maybe a quick bio, in a, the elevator bio. The elevator <laughs> bio. She was born in 1893 in New Jersey, unfortunately, but she is a native New Yorker. <laughs> and uh, she began her career writing captions for Vogue magazine. Um, one of them uh, is uh, from these foundations of the autumn wardrobe. One may learn that brevity is the soul of lingerie, as the petticoat said to the chemise. And uh, from there, she went to Vanity Fair. She became the theater critic. She took over for P.G. Wodehouse. Uh, that's where she met Robert Benchley. That's where she began the whole Algonquin Roundtable. I never realized P.G. Woodhouse was a theater critic as well. Yes, he was. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she eventually did get fired uh, from Vogue for some reviews that she wrote about uh, Florence Ziegfeld's wife, Billy Burke, which were not very flattering. <laughs> and uh, that particular story is in the piece as well. She uh, 
was married in 1917 to Edwin Pond Parker II. Her maiden name is Rothschild, uh, but that's how she got the name Parker. And uh, then uh, Eddie, her first husband, sort of, uh, he kind of fell apart from morphine and alcohol, and they separated. And she went through about four really bad relationships. Until well, for, for the era, she rather, she led rather a scandalous lifestyle for the era, didn't she? I mean, she was very feminist when she was, was a feminist <laughs> always, um, very much into women's issues. But she was also very much one of the boys, and that's what was scandalous for. Yeah, she was <laughs> hanging out drinking with the boys all the time. Yeah, that was whole the whole Algonquin Round Table. There were very few women that actually came to lunch there and she was one of them so michael how did yes. you get involved as a producer into this project i got involved as a producer with uh, maureen doing a show that third eye had produced last year and then she came into the company and we're a company made up of all professional writers and actors and she said i've been working on this piece about dorothy parker's lives and poems called those whistling lads and so I read it. I enjoyed it very much. And uh, then Planet Connections had contacted her. I guess they'd seen last year's production. They did, yeah. So they invited her into the festivities this year. And uh, we're working on trying to get it uh, touring through colleges uh, for next year. So we're working on grants and budget for that. And uh, we served as the uh, producers <laughs> uh, for this particular time. The money people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, this sounds like a great, you know, pros prospect for going to hit all the colleges and, and says, mm -hmm. what, what's involved with trying to make that happen? Basically putting together a budget uh, based on what equity uh, requires in terms of contracts and insurance and then pitching it to schools and colleges and hopefully they have a budget that allows them to bring in the, a certain amount of uh, productions a year and we start there and uh, we can also seek grants for it. Uh, that's a little bit of a longer road. <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> but the other thing, I wonder how the uh, so-called recession is affecting, you know, college budgets because I know they usually have, you know, that kind of thing right in there. It, it is or, affecting college budgets. Um, I've been to several conventions where they try and sell shows and the sales are way down. I've asked all the vendors who are trying to sell their stuff. It's like, it's really bad. And so if past is any... Uh, college, poor college students are just going to have to go out and drink more. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they aren't exactly. getting their culture. <laughs> <laughs> Usually in times of recessions, you know, the arts do very well, as we saw last night in the Tonys, and with the ticket sales this year, I guess they're at record highs. But uh, education, unfortunately, usually tends to cut the arts. Yeah. So I think the recession does affect it. So we'll do what we can. <laughs> <laughs> so what what was involved with bringing her stories to life here on stage for the, the show? It uh, started about five years ago when I picked up the portable Dorothy Parker, and I felt these just have to be put on stage. I really identified with Dorothy because I've always been rather sarcastic. I've always been one of the boys. It j I just really identified with her as a person. And um, I thought it was important to bring her writing to the stage. There are a slew of shows out there about her life, about the Algonquin Roundtable, about all the people she hung out with. 
but she's not really been addressed, as far as I know, as a writer. And that's what this piece is trying to do. So how do you get yourself through as a writer and Dorothy through as a writer at the same time? <laughs> it's <laughs> difficult. <laughs> um, the one thing that I insist on is that we can't change any of Dorothy's words. So the things that are coming from the stories have to stay as is. There's been cuts made. I've taken some things out, but I can't change her words. The scenes I'm not getting really precious with because as you go through the production and you go through the rehearsals, sometimes you have to change what's being said and how the scene is developing. So it's sort of a whole process of watching what the actors are doing and listening to that and coming up with better ways to communicate the ideas in that scene. And you got the permission to use her words mm -hmm. from? From the NAACP. They own the rights to her works. Um, it's kind of in, an interesting story in the NAACP, that that's... The National Association <laughs> yeah. for the Advancement of Colored People. Yeah, that's yes. what I thought. And they're, they got Dorothy Parker's stuff. What, right? what had happened was uh, Dorothy was very close friends with Lillian Hellman towards the end of her life. And um, she was supposed to leave her works to Lillian but she bypassed Lillian and gave them directly to Martin Luther King along with her last $20,000 with um, the stipulation that on King's death it went to the NAACP she was very much involved in civil rights she was a member of the anti-fascist league during the Spanish Civil War the anti-Nazi league she was blacklisted she did a lot of fundraising for charity. So, yeah, that's kind of... So. would never have expected that. that did you know I, ahead of time does. that they had the rights, or, was, or were you, like, diving around and... I actually ran into somebody who had done something about her and asked him, and he said, well, you have to contact this law firm, and they're in charge of taking care of all the paperwork. So that was a whole process in and of itself, getting the permission and having an intellectual property lawyer look at the contract just to make sure that I could do what I wanted to do with the piece. <laughs> One of the things that's interesting that Maureen has decided to do, knowing that Dorothy was so uh, into charities and, and giving, is that uh, a good portion of the proceeds are going to charity from this uh, production. Yeah, I believe all the shows kind of have their own charity. Right. With the, what's, what's yours with this one? Well, we are uh, trying to raise money for the Actors Fund, for one thing. Uh, most of the members of the cast are equity members. Uh, and also Suicide Prevention International. Uh, and that is because Dorothy tried to commit suicide four times, uh, mostly over men. But... Uh, Kind of ironic there, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she had, she had some pretty serious situations happen to her with these men that pushed her to that point. Uh, and she probably was manic depressive, too, which really wasn't handled very well back in the 20s and 30s. Uh, and also Safe Horizon Shelter for Women. Uh, and we're collecting toiletry items as well for the Safe Horizon Street Work Program for Homeless Teens. So if you come to the show, please bring toiletry items, all those little hotel freebies, mm -hmm. toothpaste, soap, shampoo, conditioner, all that kind of stuff we're collecting. And we chose that one because Dorothy had quite abusive relationships, emotionally and physically abusive. So 
All right. So now the show, when's the opening and closing date for your show? We start on the 16th. Uh, at 4.30 in the afternoon, that's our opening. Uh, we have a show on the 21st, also on the 24th, the 26th, and the 28th. Now, that's a Sunday morning show at 11 a.m., but we're having a talk back with pastries and mimosas after the show. <laughs> and coffee, too. So if you come out for the 11 a.m. show, you'll get a little treat afterwards. All right, and uh, I understand you also have your own website for the for the production that people can go to to find out more information. Yes, you can go to uh, Third Eye Theater, spelled R E Co. dot com. Third Eye Theater Co. dot com. So you can go there to get more information on the Whistling Lads. Go to Planet Festivities or to the Planet Connection Festivity dot com, com yes. for more information on the whole festival. And thank you very much, Michael Levesque and Maureen Van Trees, for coming down to talk about those Whistling Lads. And best of luck as you go with forward with this. And hopefully, our listeners will be seeing your production at their universities all around. We hope so. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> On the boards. End of the world, heartbreak, and the ancient minds are just part of a new uh, visual piece that is playing at the Planet Connections Festivity, Weight of the World, and it is written by Peter Dagger and directed by Jeremy Bloom, both of whom are here to talk about this unique piece here. How are you guys doing? Excellent. Doing great. Right, you want to introduce yourself so people can connect the name with uh, voice here? Yeah, my name is Peter Dagger. I'm the writer of Weight of the World. My name is Jeremy Bloom. And that's Weight of the World as in W-A-I-T, right? Not like heavyweight. Right. Like <laughs> checking your watch. So first thing is just tell us a little bit, what is Weight of the World about? Well, Weight of the World is about, it's a piece about one boy who influences nature, influences the orbit of the earth, and he is eventually bringing the end of the world. It's Billy Elliot? Um, <laughs> it's a little bit more phenomenon or powder. <laughs> and Bill, a little bit of Billy Elliot, too. Absolutely. Billy Elliot, you know, just kind of like brought all the planets into his mm-hmm. alignment last night. That was my main inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. No, so, so continue on with Way of the World here. It starts out in a science lab with all these students, and they're studying uh, the planets and everything like that. But then all of a sudden, they find this journal, and they open it up, and it turns out it's all these predictions about how the world is about to end in a few years. And it's very anxiety-inducing and exciting. So the whole play is like all these experiments and um, all these sort of rituals, disasters getting closer to the end of the world. And it's based on the the ancient minds predict that the world's going to end 2012. Um, there's like the Nicolas Cage movie coming out about it, or John Cusack, one of those guys. But um, it's sort of... One of the receding hairline actors. Yeah, <laughs> one of the disaster <laughs> movies. So it's not the same as the movie, but it takes information from their their beliefs and their predictions. Right. So um, now I understand that you do a lot of like different ways of telling the story, uh, projections, etc. Can you can you tell us a little bit more about? We're that? using one of the most newest technologies there are, which are these little mini projectors that are the size of an iPod, and they um, are handheld, and we can project onto strange surfaces. And then we're also using some of the most low tech technology that ever existed, which includes like those little Bill Nye science experiments, um, making a tornado or a volcano in your own mm-hmm. hands, uh, mixed with some very strange 
strange sort of sound cues. So it's all about the high tech, low tech, uh, kind of Billy Elliot feel. <laughs> <laughs> and we're working with a great artist, Sean Ward, who I went to school with, and he's designing. He made like an hour long projection that accompanies the piece. That kind of gets more and more intense, more and more eruptions. And mm-hmm. Sean's a genius. His whole sort of artwork that he works with in life is about these different materials that slowly erode and kind of um, watching them naturally sort of decay. So it it sort of parallels the story that we're working with, too. Is he in a mental institution, or can he not leave his apartment without, you know, touching the the doorknob like 12 times? Yeah, he is. (laughs) Oh, so he's a genius. He is. He's a genius. He's an idiot savant. But he's really amazing, and his stuff is so beautiful. We should link to his website. Oh, yeah, Sean we Thomas Ward. Sean Thomas Ward. Or maybe Sean T. Ward.com. Check them both. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jeremy, when you're writing a show like this, that you're planning on having a lot of projections, how is that different for for you approaching? Peter wrote it. I wrote oh, so, it. Sorry, sorry, but I mean, the Peter, sorry. <laughs> um, well, I just I wrote it, and I, know, I knew that I wanted like music, art involved. And I, I started working with Sean last summer. I'm like, I want you to... Originally, he was going to be on stage creating live artwork, and the piece kind of evolved into projections. And he still might be on stage. We're not sure. I hope so. I hope so. It's my deepest hope. It depends on his availability. And if he can get out of his apartment without... Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We'll try to get him out. He might need an aid. <laughs> and so Jeremy, this time director, mm-hmm. how, did you, how did you get involved with this piece as a director? Well, I first met Peter about 10 years ago in Illinois, and then since then we've gone to a series of parties, and and um, we had a memorable Halloween experience where we sort of made costumes on the street and went into some strangers' parties. And ever since then, Peter's been talking about this idea, and I always said, well, if you ever do it, I'll direct it. And then all of a sudden he's doing it, thanks to Glory Bowen and those other girls who I don't know. Ten Beam. Jen Beam, Glory <laughs> Bowen. <laughs> so what? What? What is he? Is this like audience gets involved, or or is this? No, the audience what? is very safe in our production. Sort of, they sit in their seats, and we sit in ours. And uh, who are the cast members that you got in the show? Well, our cast members are Jenny Chechia, Harry Einhorn, Joyce Miller, Rachel Richmond, and Joe Tannenbaum. And, yeah, we took them from a variety of places. They've been cold. They're sort of the absolute finest, most sensitive actors in all of New York. They're really the best of the best, and they're also strange and unusual, and they're very talented. Now, I believe all the, all the shows in the festival have, like, a beneficiary, charity beneficiary to this. Uh, who's yours? Um, we're working with the Gynecologic Cancer Foundation, so um, we're, we are collecting donations, and we do have a charity night. If you come to the performance on Friday, June 19th and 6 p.m., um, a portion of the box office will go to the charity. And recently, me and Matt Britton, our other co-producer, set up a Facebook page for the foundation to help network and spread their information. They do a lot of education, so that's their main goal. So we're helping them like, reach out to a younger generation. Does the Cancer Foundation realize that they don't have a whole lot of work to do if the world's going to end in three years? It's <laughs> <laughs> true, very true. <laughs> Absolutely. But we've got to do, do whatever we can while, while we're still here. 
Yeah, that's kind of a theme of the show, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so when does your show open and close? Um, the show opens uh, June 13th this Saturday at 7 p.m., and it closes Saturday, June 27th at 6.30 p.m. And where can people go to find the whole schedule of your performance dates? Um, the Planet Connections Festivity.com. Yeah, we've been saying that a few times. We yeah. know that. <laughs> and if you Absolutely. come to our final night, there is a boxed wine party included. Boxed wine? Boxed wine, yeah. Nothing but the finest. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so maybe some blush. What year is that? It. <laughs> it's like a year from now, actually. It's still not fully formed in some real wine, but it's going to be delicious. All right, so Weight of the World sounds very interesting. Uh, Jeremy Bloom and Peter Dagger, thank you so much for coming down to talk about it, and best of luck at the Planet thank you. Connections thank Festivity. You. Thank you, times a million. On the boards. A modern update adaptation of a Moliere play is on the boards for the Planet Connections Festivity, and that would be The Imaginary Invalid by Prescription Only, which is uh, written, directed, and produced by Elisa Shane. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Nice talking to you again. We talked briefly uh, when you won an NY It Award uh, back in September, didn't we? Yes. I was um, still shaking from having won an award because I was totally surprised, so I don't know that anything I said made any sense, um, but it was fun. I do remember talking to you. <laughs> so, first off, tell us a little bit about The Imaginary Invalid by Prescription Only. Well, it's a new take on uh, Moliere's show, The Imaginary Invalid. Um, Our invalid is a woman, and instead of being a hypochondriac, she's addicted to prescription medication. Um, So we sort of show her slow descent into madness from all the side effects that she gets from these pills. Um, And we have these characters that are sort of outside the main story, who are these evil, sexy doctors who have dance and movement numbers, and every time that Argon, our invalid, takes a pill, they tell the audience all the terrible, awful, hilarious side effects that might result. (laughs) So does this come from personal experience? Um, What's funny (laughs) is that I'm sort of a big fan of prescription medication, (laughs) but uh, I believe in moderation, certainly, and I think this show... Is, it's not really a castigation of doctors or the healthcare system. It's sort of just showing what happens when you abuse the system and, and how easily it is to abuse it. So we're not really saying that all medication is wrong and all doctors are evil. We're just sort of saying, look what you can do when you abuse it and look how terrible things might turn out for you. When you say showing how easy to abuse it, if I want to abuse the system, will I learn how by going um, to your show? You could, learn a few, <laughs> you could learn a few tricks. I think that you could. Um, I don't necessarily encourage it, but, you know, if that's what you want to do, I'll support you in any way you want when you come see it, you know. I'll teach you a few tricks myself if you need. So what was your inspiration? Why, why did you decide to tackle this Moliere piece, and, and, and what made you want to do this as a writer? I have, like, there's two sides of the story. One is that I just love Moliere. Um, I've worked on adapting and rewriting um the uh, the misanthrope. Um, so this is sort of a natural progression for me to work with Moliere, and I've been working on this piece um, for actually a couple of years. It premiered in an earlier version uh, a few years ago at the Looking Glass Theater. So um, I've been developing this piece, and then as far as the medication goes, I mean, it's interesting because my father is a doctor in the interest of full disclosure, <laughs> and I uh, sort of grew up around medicine, and my father is one of the good guys. So uh, when people complain about doctors and healthcare system, I often stand up for them. But then there's also something. It's it's a very, it's a very to- hot topic right now. People are talking about healthcare. They're talking about prescription medications, and my take on things that are really big news is sort of to make fun of them. So then I take this, um, you know, big, really serious topic and make it funny and 
turn it into a dark comic tale. So I don't know so much that I'm really out there to teach a lesson to everyone or as much to take what's already in the zeitgeist and play with it. <laughs> so now, why was your what was your idea behind getting involved with Planet Connections Festivity for this? Well, I love, first of all, I love the people involved. I know that you've spoken to some of them. Um, the producers, the managing director, they're just amazing people who I have worked with in different places and just excited to work with them all in one place. And then the idea of, you know, it's sort of like, why has nobody done this before, where every show is supporting a cause? And there's so much good work to be done. We're going to do theater anyway. We're always working on theater, so why not connect it and try to, I don't know, in a small way, help the world a little bit, as lofty as that sounds. You know? So who, who's your beneficiary for this? We are working with Hospice of New York. Um, we were going to do something a little more drug-related, but then realized we're poking a lot of fun at those at that kind of problem, and we wanted to be <laughs> sensitive to all issues. So Hospice of New York is really important to me. Um, hospice took care of my grandmother in her last couple of years, and a lot of people in my cast have connections to hospice. So we're just trying to raise money and awareness for what they do and how they care for people at the end of their lives. So is this the first thing that you've directed and written at the same time? or um, No. Um, I did that little NYIT thing we were oh, talking about before. Yeah, I wrote and directed. I won the award for writing, but mm-hmm. I directed it. I consider myself a director who just sort of happens to write as opposed to a playwright who happens to direct. How do you separate the boundaries? How do you, how do you find yourself delineating your role as director from the delineating the role as a writer, or, or do you? What's funny is that... How does the director come at the writer and go, you know, this scene needs to be completely reworked because it sucks? (laughs) You know what? That's so right on target right now. Um, You know, it's difficult because I don't think that I do separate. I think that um, the way that I write is I write for actors. So I write, and then the actors come in, and then I change it what the, based on what they're doing. And the writing, I'm not one of the people who writes, and then the written word is, is solid. Like, if an actor comes up with something in the moment, well, that's going to go into the script. So I try to surround myself with people who are better than I am, who are really talented and have an amazing cast, and, and go off of their instincts. And if I see a moment isn't working, then we will work it out right there on the spot, instead of me saying, I'll talk to the playwright, and then going home and having a conversation with myself. So sort of... Um, I like to be flexible on the whole development. Um, you know, we had a rehearsal last night where I just caught a few lines, much to the actor's chagrin. Mm. So <laughs> things like that happen. Now, when you surround yourself with people that are better than you are, do you get any, any of these people that <laughs> say, you know, thing. I should write this show? It's a terrible thing for me to say. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> um, I guess what I meant was um, to be, I feel like, to be a a good director, mm-hmm. you make sure that everyone's talents is in the room and that you use it. So, yeah, I mean, there is a point where I have to say to actors, okay, it's great that I, I allowed you to improvise, but now you need to stop and read the words that I wrote. So I do put the hammer down eventually, but it is easy to get carried away, and we end up having a few rehearsals where the entire script is improv and I have to put a stop to that. So <laughs> at least actors get the feeling they get to play, and then there's a time where you stop playing and you start working. So... So a collaborative appreciation of talent, not Paris really, Hilton surrounding no, herself with people who are better than she is. That is a really is. much better way to say that. I wish you had told me that before. I would have said it like that, as opposed to making myself sound like the least talented one in the room, which is not really where I wanted to go. Whoops. So uh, when does your show run here? It um, starts on Friday. Um, the Wow, I should have kept the dates with me. The, the 12th? 12th, yes. It's the 12th, the 13th, the 14th, and then the 20th and the 
I usually just 18th, say 20th, 27th. The biggest thing I think people here need to remember is that it runs from the 12th to the 27th. See, that's why you're the professional. And then <laughs> they can go to planetconnectionsfestivity.com to find the specific dates. There you go. This is, this is radio. You hit them with a bunch of dates and you know, they're going to be like, huh? Yeah, that's very confusing. Yeah, go to planetconnectionsfestivity.com. Look for the imaginary invalid by prescription only. We got a bunch of show dates. It's a really, I mean, all the issues aside, it's a really fun show. So I think you have fun watching it. Yeah, so 612 through 627, Aliza Shane, former NYT, NYIT award winner. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Come see your work, and best of luck. Thank you. Curtain Call. Again, if you're looking for more information on these shows or anything in the festival, you can go to www.planetconnectionsfestivity.com. Don't forget that great contest. You can win a pass for you and a friend to see any and all of the shows for free. Uh, visit broadwaybullet.com for more info. And we also have links to Planet Connections and everything else going on there with the shows. So if you're looking for more information. We're going to be back next week with our regularly scheduled episode, uh, and in that is going to be the long-promised next episode, next installment of Broadway Abridged Live, where we tackle Little Mermaid. So uh, looking forward to that. Hope to see you all again. Uh, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and thanks for hopping on board the Broadway Bullet. The hairs went up on the back of my neck. The Broadway So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And, if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, Go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.